Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It's good to be together to worship God tonight. And if you're a guest, we're thankful that you're here. If you will be open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and we'll continue our study from this morning in just a few moments. It's an exciting time to be a part of the Mount Juliet congregation. To see the generosity of the over $13,000 that was given to the work of the Philippines says a lot about you, but it also says a lot about our God. It tells us truly how good God has been to us and to be able to give us the opportunity to also give generously is a wonderful blessing. And we pray uh, continually for the people there and that the funds that we can send uh, would help offer some kind of relief, but also bring glory to God at the same time, even more importantly. Also to think about 12 men uh, possibly being added to our deacons. Uh, that'll be six new ministries and uh, as well as additional help in other areas. It's exciting to see uh, the congregation continue to grow in the work that it's doing. And uh, let's make sure that we pray for these men, for their families. Let's make sure that we study the scriptures very carefully and uh, that we make sure uh, that we are following God's word and that we're lifting high his plan. And uh, let's keep our eyes on the Lord and let's keep our eyes on his word and let's serve him at every opportunity uh, that we have. Also, it is exciting to hear that there have been two additional baptisms in Brazil, in Belém, Brazil. And we rejoice with the heavenly host. We rejoice with these two souls and the congregation there, including the Fowlers. And we're thankful for that uh, great news uh, that has taken place there. Those souls have begun the journey. And what we all should set our eyes upon is finishing the journey, enduring, being faithful. At the beginning of this year, we talked about soul focus and what if we gained the whole world and lost our own soul? Have we really profited anything? No, not at all. Well, what if you wanted to give an exchange for that? You can't. Only the grace of God can give an exchange for that. And so then each month we've looked at specific themes and this month we're looking at faithful souls. And so we've gone to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, as you know from studying this morning, just a quick review. And that is looking at one of the great chapters in the Bible where the plea is from a man who is finishing his walk with the Lord upon this earth. He's pleading with Timothy to finish his walk and be one that instructs others to also finish their walk with the Lord. In other words, it's all about faithfulness. It's all about endurance. Are we going to endure throughout this life? Well, what would be the motivation? Let's read this together. I'll make a few brief comments in the first part and then we'll jump right in where we left off this morning. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter and verse one. It begins very personal note. I, Paul says, charge you, talking to Timothy. He loved him like a son. But he reminds him it's not just between he and Paul. He says, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. And so it's a reminder that we all live in view of God. We live in the visibility of God, the one that in the final day of judgment will be our judge. That ought to give us motivation to say, I want to be able to stand before that judge and I want to hear the words well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's for those who finish. For those who quit, we will not hear those words. And so you can imagine Paul writing to Timothy and you imagine at this point, if Timothy chose to, he could pause his reading there and he would think, hmm, he's giving a very important setup for whatever he's about to say. What is it that he's going to say? 
And the next three words make up one sentence. Preach the word in verse 2. We looked at that this morning. The preach is the idea of herald or proclaim. The word is the living word of God. The gospel. Paul went into Corinth and he said, I didn't come to you with human philosophy and wisdom. He said, I came to you to preach Jesus and him crucified. That's the gospel. The word of God. We looked at Nehemiah, the eighth chapter, where Nehemiah had Ezra to stand before the people and, and he spoke very distinctly. He spoke so that they could make sense of the word of God and he spoke so that they could understand the word of God. And that's still the plea in preaching today if we're doing what God wants. We're holding up God's word for all of us to understand it so it makes sense for us to go out and live it, to go home and live it, to live it in our own personal devotion to God. Listen, if we're missing that, if the idea that, that you come into a sermon or you go into a Bible class and your mindset is, teacher, what can you do for me? Preacher, can you entertain me today? You've missed the whole purpose. It's the idea of feeding on the Word of God, not being spoon-fed but studying the word of God together. Let's continue reading here. He said not only preach the word, but here's where we pick up where we start tonight. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Now this is interesting here when he says, be ready in season and out of season. A lot of the time our mind immediately jumps to the last part of that phrase there, that sentence there, the in season and out of season. So let's just talk about it for a moment. Let's say that you have what most people think of as a seasonal job. Let's just take a landscaper. A lot of times someone will say, well, what do you do out of season? Well, let's just imagine that the landscaper had enough work lined up that, that the landscaper said, I have other things that I do with my equipment and, and maybe it's with uh, snow removal if you're up in the north or whatever it may be. And, and that person describes what they do throughout maybe March through November, but then they describe what they do November back around to March again. And your reply would be, hmm, so you stay busy all the time. In season, out of season. When did he say be ready? He said be ready in season, out of season. Listen, if, if you're ready in season and out of season, it's never ending. You're ready at all times. And so he says be ready in season, out of season. So the in season, out of season is never ending. When it's easy, when it's not easy. When it's popular, when it's not popular. It doesn't matter. It's not that, oh, I stand with the Word of God when I'm at church camp and it's really easy, but not when I'm at school and it's hard. Oh, I stand whenever I'm on a retreat with other adults, but when I'm at work and I'm around worldly people, I don't stand with it. Listen, in season, out of season. Easy, not easy. When people want to hear it, when they don't want to hear it. How do you live your Christian life? What's your approach to the Word of God? It should be never ending. You say, but sometimes it's hard. It doesn't matter. That's the out of season when it's hard and you still stay faithful. Never ending. But now I want you to notice something that's beautiful. I've never seen this before until I studied this time. Notice that phrase, be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. That, that phrase there, be ready, comes from one Greek word and it's the idea to stand up on or beside of. It's the idea as if you were thinking about a, a soldier at a, at a post. And, and where maybe it's a guard post and, and maybe an officer told that soldier said, hey, this is your position right here. You stay here for the next 12 hours. Well, is he going to or is he not? 
If he is at his post, he's ready. What if he wanders off and a man is needed at that post? Well, he's not ready. You see what he's saying? He has just said, preach the word. The word of God is the post. Now, are you going to be ready at that post of proclaiming and living the word of God? Are you going to preach it? Are you going to be ready, standing upon it, standing beside it? And now notice he takes from preaching the word, that's the post, be ready, standing in or at it. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. Look, it's easy to be at this post when things are easy. On a Sunday night with singing like this, with prayers like this, with good news announcements like this, brethren, really, how hard is it to live the Christian life right now? This is in season. It may not be so easy when you go home tonight. It may not be so easy when you go to work or whatever life brings you over this next week. But the question is, even when it's not easy, will you leave the post? When it's not easy, will you come over here to something else? In a few minutes, we're going to see how some did leave for, for something else. So now let's look at that next sentence. The next sentence. Let's skip a couple of slides there. The next sentence is, as we look again, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, look at verse two. He tells us three things here to do as we are at this post, so to speak. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Notice there's three things there he says to do, convince, rebuke, and exhort. And isn't it interesting that two out of the three are negative? Now, I know at first in our English, it may not look that way, but the word convince there is actually translated out of one that is negative. It's the idea of to reveal faults. In other words, you are convincing the individual by showing them, look, this is the fault. This is the sin in your life. I'm convincing you to leave that. And when he says rebuke there, it's the idea of to correct, to, to scorn, to scold somewhat. This is wrong. You need to get away from it. And then finally, third, he mentions a positive thing. And when he says exhort, exhort is the idea of calling to one side. Here we are. We've made our post, the word of God. We are ready in season and out of season, and we're calling others to stand on the side of God, on the side of God's word. But isn't it interesting? Now, please get this. Isn't it interesting? God's word used two negatives to one positive at this particular time. Now, I'm not saying that we all the time have to go out and speak two negative things to one positive. That's not the point I'm making. But the point is this. If we preach the word of God, we will have to talk about negative things because God talks about negative things. If we're going to preach the word, we're going to have to be convicted of sin. When someone says, oh, I visited around until I found a congregation that can make me feel good all the time. Well, I can assure you, you don't need to be a part of that congregation. Listen, we need to leave sometime after studying the Word of God feeling guilty. We need to be convicted of sin, not have sin smoothed over and covered up and convinced that it's really not that big a deal. To God, it was a big deal. He spends much of his time not only revealing to us what is righteous, he spends much of his time revealing what is wicked. Now note this, this same writer here, Paul in Acts the 20th chapter, about in verse 27, I think, he said to the elders at Ephesus, he said, I did not shun to declare to you the whole gospel of God. You see, he said, look, 
everything that God asked me to declare, whether it was in season or out of season, I declared it. Do you do that? Parents, when you're talking to your children, do you tell them all that God would want you to tell them? Or do you hold back on some things because you're not so convinced of it yourself? Youth with your peers at school, do you speak the whole gospel or just the part that you think they'll want to hear? Coworkers, how do you deal with others? Now, obviously, we speak the truth in love. But the fact is, the truth is the truth. We either stand post with it and we proclaim it or we shun it and we step away from it. Our challenge to endure literally depends on whether or not we're willing to stand post with the truth or are we going to leave it. I think about a few years ago, and many of you would have heard about the interview. It made quite a stir among many religious people. If I named the preacher, every one of you here would say, I either know him or, or I know of him, a nationally known preacher, one of the most famous preachers in America today. He was on a national interview and he was asked about his preaching style. And in his words, he described his preaching style by saying, I don't preach on sin. When asked why he didn't address sin, he said, I feel like people just have enough burdens that to have additional guilt is not something that they need. Now notice, he didn't get to make that call if he was going to preach the word. All right? If we're going to preach the word, it's not our place to say, oh, I tell you what, I evaluated your life and I just felt like you had too much guilt. And so I'm not going to proclaim to you the whole gospel. I'm only going to give you half the gospel. We don't have that choice if, in fact, we're going to preach the gospel. And so when the, the guy doing the interview, when Larry King asked him, he said, well, what do you preach? He said, I preach to try to fulfill people's needs. No, he doesn't. Because you know one of the greatest needs we have? One of the greatest needs we have is someone to love us enough to come up to us and say, you are the man. And let me tell you about a gracious God that can forgive you of sins. Listen, brethren, when we truly love someone, we will not ignore their sin. But according to Jesus' teaching, we'll first remove the cross beam that is in our own eye so that we will be capable and able to go help remove the smallest speck of dust in their eye because we love them that much, because we love the Word of God that much. And by the way, that last passage is the most misapplied passage in all the Scripture. That passage is not given to teach us we are not to judge. That passage is given to show us we are to start judgment at home and remove the sin out of our eyes and help others remove the sin out of their life. And so what is Paul writing to Timothy about? He's urging him, you're going to have to spend some time convincing people that their faults really is sin and that they need to move away from it. You're going to have to spend some time rebuking them. You're going to need to spend some time in calling them over to the side of Christ. How do we do that? Well, when we stand on the side of the word, that's how we accomplish all that. Let's continue reading here and notice as we go a little bit deeper into this text, look at verse three and four. For the time will come when they, you remember just a, moment, uh, uh, just a moment ago, I said to you that in a moment, we're going to look at what happens when you leave the post. I want you to imagine right here being the truth and we decide to post up here and we're ready. 
which by the way, if, if you want to just jot it down, you may remember it off the top of your head. It's the same kind of language that Paul used in Romans 1 and 15 and 16. You remember Romans 1 and verse 15, he says, for I am ready to preach the gospel. And then in the very next verse, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, and he says, as far as the power of God and salvation, well, why would you be ashamed of it? Because people will mock you. People may persecute you. People may bring embarrassing things into your life. And so the question is, are you going to suffer the shame and stay by the post of truth? Or when things get to be embarrassing, you're going to slip away from the truth so that you won't be identified with it or so that you'll have what you perceive to be freedom to do what you want to do. Well, let's look what these people were doing here. For the time will come, he's prophesying here, the time will come when they, now notice the description of the they, they will not endure. See, that's our theme for today. Are we going to endure? They are not going to endure sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy. The word doctrine means teaching. They will not tolerate healthy teaching standing on or beside the truth, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now let's think about, if, if you want to glance down again at your scriptures, look again at verse three. Over here is the sound doctrine. Over here is where they go when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, what is it over here? their fleshly desires. You see, if they were willing to overcome their fleshly desires and repent, they could stay with sound doctrine, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do things the way they wanted to do it. You remember this morning I said to you that 2 Timothy deals a lot with two things. One is false teaching and one is worldliness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but those two go hand in hand. So many false teachings today come about because individuals start living a worldly life and then they try to use the scripture to justify their worldly life. And so what they do is they twist the truth so that it's no longer truth, but it justifies what they want to do. Now, here's the problem. Once it's twisted, who is going to still teach from the Bible? It appears that they're teaching from the Bible to scratch their itching ears. See, if they stay over here, they're going to find their self convinced, rebuked. They don't want that. They want to be over here where someone will change the word of God and say, let me preach a message for you. And it will be one that says, I don't want to make you feel guilty for sin. I want you to feel good about yourself. I just want to talk to you about the needs that you have. And it sounds much more like a Dr. Phil presentation than the Word of God. Now notice the last part of this. What we do at the end there in verse 4 is we are away from the truth and we come over according to what God's Word says. We've turned aside to fables or myths. Over here is itching ears. Over here is where we do, we are over here because of fleshly desires. Over here we are told myths so that we will feel good. Over here is sound doctrine. And what's sound doctrine do? It convinces us when we're, when we're wrong that we need to repent. And so instead of living by the flesh, we live a spiritual life. Instead of living by myths, we live by sound doctrine and truth. Now, please note this. 
What does this look like translated into real life? What this looks like translated in real life is when we're living a life where we are guilty of a particular sin and the next time a Bible class teacher teaches a lesson where that particular sin is brought out in Scripture or a preacher preaches a lesson and that's brought out, the question is, will you grow angry? And will you blame the teacher? Will you blame the preacher? Will you talk about how something ought to have been said differently or that topic shouldn't have been brought up at all? You see, that's the itching ears. I think about the few times that I've preached lessons and gotten back to the house and to listen to some pretty mean messages. Why is that done? Well, the preacher could be wrong. Absolutely. But you know what else can be wrong is the hearer. Didn't address a topic the way I want it to be addressed. Let's state it this simple. And I'm not just talking to you as a preacher. I'm talking to all of us as people that listen and study the Word of God. So I'm talking to myself as well as to you. Think how foolish we are if we're over here and we don't even know it. What does that look like? The next time you hear something preached and you're trying to squirm around and figure out how you can make it mean something else, what if instead we said, I'm guilty. I have just been taught what the Word of God stands, and I now realize I'm not at my post anymore. That takes humility. But you talk about growing spiritually? That is amazing when we can be that humble and make that kind of move. So instead of being over here and saying, I tell you what, I'm going to complain to somebody. I'm going to make sure that something like that's not preached again. What if instead we said, I'm going to turn back and I'm going to go back to truth. And I'm going to take my post right there at truth. Let's quickly put a few more points onto his message here and we close. Look, if you will, at verse 5. We've got to be able to think clearly. Be, but you be watchful in all things. Now, notice we're talking about a passage here that is about endurance. We are not going to make it to the end if we become apathetic, if we become casual about our Christian walk. Paul, what are you telling us in order to remain faithful? He says, you're going to have to be watchful in all things. Just left a beautiful elders and, and ministers meeting a few moments ago and Griff led the prayer and he prayed almost these exact words. I don't know if he knew he was praying this passage or if that's just his heart as a shepherd that loves you. But he prayed about us being watchful in all things as an eldership and as a congregation. Listen, we need to evaluate every aspect of our life. Physically, socially, spiritually, emotionally, relationships of family, of co-workers. Are we watchful in all things? When we're at home, when we're abroad, are we watchful in all things? I can't make it to the end if I'm not keenly aware of the enemy that I have and the God that I want to follow. Eyes upon him. 
Look at the next one. And the number is wrong on the screen. We have number six twice. So this enduring will be number seven. Second Timothy four and five. He began by saying, but you be watchful in all things. But notice the next one. Endure affliction. If your idea is I'm going to make it to the end as long as it's not difficult, you won't make it to the end. There's going to be some difficult days. Listen to me, brethren. I don't say this with any joy. As a matter of fact, it brings a lump in my throat because I've sat down with many of you over the years I've been here at times like this, and you'll sit down with me in the future at times like this. But every one of us are going to get a phone call one day that our world crashes in. Every one of us are going to have something that we experienced one day that we woke up that morning and we never dreamt that it was coming. Every one of us are going to have a day where someone we love dearly tells us something we absolutely didn't want to hear. The question is, what are you going to do then? Are you going to endure affliction? Or are you going to say, well, God must not love me anymore. No, God loves you probably even more in the valleys as he does in the mountaintops. He's where he's always been, and that's looking over his children. But this earth is not heaven. And as long as we're on this earth, what we must do is keep our eyes on the Lord and say, I am going to persevere no matter what. I am not quitting because it hurts. I'm not quitting because, because I'm uncomfortable. I'm not quitting because I'm in deep pain or deep sorrow or because someone has been so mean or cruel to me. I'm not quitting. Satan can't defeat someone that pulls their strength from God and has a heart that will not turn away from him. But then finally, how many number sixes did I get on here? Here's a third number six, just to see if you're counting. All right. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and 5 and look at the end. First we looked at, but you be watchful in all things. Next we looked at endure affliction. Next, look at do the work of an evangelist. For Timothy, his task as a Christian was to be an evangelist. Not everybody here, that's not your task. But God's given every one of you ability. He's given every one of you opportunities. And the question is, are you going to do it? And for the fourth number six, are you going to fulfill your ministry? Listen to that as you think about the word endurance. Fulfill your ministry. Over your life, will you fulfill all that God has given you to do? Fulfill your ministry. Be a parent and don't quit parenting in their teenage years. Fulfill that ministry. Be a spouse and, and don't quit somewhere along the way being a faithful spouse. A deacon, an elder, a Bible class teacher. So many of you are serving so actively in ministries. You fill in the blank wherever you're serving in ministry. Don't start and then quit. Fulfill your ministry. What I learned today. Here's just three of the several points. Number one, I've learned that the motivation to endure must look eternal. Anytime we look short-sighted, we make the wrong decisions as we talked about last week, but we saw it even here in this lesson here. Number two, the word of God must be the centerpiece of my life. Number three, be ready means to always be standing along with the word of God. Tonight, we're about to sing a song of invitation and it really is this simple. If you're not standing at your post along with the Word of God, why not? 
Stop making excuses. Stop standing out here saying, well, I'm doing it because it's what I wanted. Surrender your will and say, I'm coming back to the Lord and I'm doing it the way he wants. Stop trying to get everybody to tell you what you want to hear. Instead, open up the word of God and make your way back to the post. Standing with God. God's been so good to us. He offers us so much more than we could ever deserve. But he will not make us stand with him. That choice is ours. We choose to stand or we choose to depart. And tonight, make sure your choice is to stand. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.